Welcome to the Thriving Advisor Show. I'm Ike Ikoku, and together with Nina Venturella, we are co-founders of the Cochinaire Institute and the Seven Figure Mentor Program. We help executives create successful transitions out of corporate life without jeopardizing their current employment and without risk to their family, finances, or future. We launch business consulting practices for our clients and use that as a vehicle to establish their personal brand, their thought leadership, and to monetize their purpose, passion, wisdom, expertise, and experience. This helps them address the problem of how to design a successful transition out of corporate life and into doing something adventurous and fulfilling that allows them to have the kind of impact, influence, and income they desire in this next chapter of their life. We believe that executives who have been thriving in the boardroom with their responsibilities to their current employer can also thrive outside of the boardroom in their post-corporate life. We know that you have relevant experience, expertise, as well as a unique message and or a passion project that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet in the next 15 to 20 minutes. All right, well, let's get into today's show. Awesome. Hey, listen, you are watching another episode of the Thriving Advisors podcast. With me today is none other than Henry Doss. And Henry and I share a lot in in common in that we've worked with entrepreneurs for many years, and we both have a thing for finances, personal finances. So I love that aspect about our shared commonality there. Uh, But Henry, I'm going to let you tell our audience a little bit more about you, and uh, we'll kind of pick up from there. Awesome. Thank you, Ike. So um, in brief, um, I'm a 30-year entrepreneur, started my first business in 1991. I've had five, six, seven, eight. I've lost count of how many businesses I've had. Uh, For the last 10 years, I've been a business coach. Uh, For the last, say, two and a half, I've been coaching people in finance. I wrote a book, FQ Financial Intelligence. Um, I sell a course but I also just uh, work with people one-on-one on kind of leveling up their financial life. So, you know, and I write screenplays and I collect baseball cards like you see behind me. If you're watching the video, plays. Um, although they've gotten so expensive now that I've uh, kind of chilled on it a little bit. So that's yeah, a, that's a very diverse background from screenplay, like screenplay writing to, mm-hmm. Baseball card collections to work in the entrepreneurial route to yep. finances. What do you see as the biggest problem that you and your company are solving today for your clients? Um, well, what what I'm solving is giving people an opportunity to have another voice other than the voice that's in their head to help guide them. You know, preferably somebody who's been there. Like one of the things that I've said on previous podcasts and to a lot of a lot of people over the line, you know, o- over time is, um, and this sounds a little pejorative, but a lot of coaches have never run a business other than their coaching practice. 
uh, where I've had a diverse uh, set of businesses in tech space and real estate. And uh, I was a factor for a while, which is basically a money lender. So I've done a bunch of different things and I've, I've bootstrapped all of them. Hmm. So um, I think that gives me a somewhat u- unique perspective, but I'm also, you know, professionally trained by Coachville, spent a year and a, and a lot of money doing, you know, all the, all the, the coaching training so that I could learn best practices. Mm-hmm. And then I cherry picked out the stuff that spoke to me and I threw away the stuff that didn't. And that's how I built my practice. That's awesome. I think for our audience, uh, the coaching space has evolved over the years. And I'm still shocked when I, <laughs> if I make the mistake of leading with saying I'm a coach <laughs> in any social setting, they go, oh, football, basketball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, well, they that's do. They, hilarious, they, they, right? They immediately. I usually will say, you know, I coach entrepreneurs or I coach people in yeah. finance. So I've never been asked that yeah, question yeah, yeah. because yeah, I don't just sure. give out the old, I'm a coach. It's like, oh, where's your whistle? <laughs> although I got to tell you, I've got three boys who are all in their 20s, although actually my oldest just turned 30. Okay. And um, I coached about 40 sports teams. I coached football, basketball, baseball, soccer, and lacrosse. Mm-hmm. So done a lot of that, well, but not as, a, not as a professional, yeah. just as a dad. You know? Here's a good question that I think is relevant for our, for our audience. How do you distinguish between a coach and a consultant? Well, the old saying is a consultant is a guy who borrows your watch and then tells you what time it is, right? Um, Coach is a little bit different. There is an element of consulting, at least in my coaching practice. I call myself um, the the imprimatur that I created is coach approach strategic advisor. So I'm a half a coach and I'm a half a strategic advisor. Because what I discovered through my coaching training is it's a little bit like being a shrink, right? You're, you can't just give people the answer, right? You know, it's a, it's an old, you know, it's an old meme where the shrink is just asking you, and how did that make you feel right? Mm -hmm. Going through all of that so that the person can discover for themselves, right? That's all great in theory, but in, in reality, there are times when as a coach, you have the answer, So why are you going to make your client go through silly, torturous games to discover it for themselves when you can just hand it to them on a silver platter? Now, that's now that's not all the time. Sure. But there are times where that does come up. So that's the strategic advisor part of it. So, yes, as a consultant, it's a piece. But you're a mentor. You're a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm a dad. Right. I mean, sometimes I just am. I put my dad hat on because that's kind of what the client needs at the time. Yeah. You have to be nimble and be able to pivot yourself around your client's needs, not the opposite. Right. One of the reasons that I created my financial course and I do financial coaching is uh, I, I'm highly adaptable to your needs. And my job is to figure that out so that I can get the best out of you because you're going to have strengths and you're going to have weaknesses, right? As opposed to someone who's out there selling a five-step program, right? We've all seen it, sure. right? We've seen lots of them. I mean, um, entrepreneur operating system, right? The, from traction, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, you know, people know, and I know people who've done it and I know people actually sell it yeah. and I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not, saying anything negative about it because I've read it. I've been through it. You know, same with Vern Harnish and Rockefeller Habits. Great stuff in there. 
But most people got into the entrepreneur business because they didn't want to be in cubicle world. They want to follow somebody else's directive. They wanted to make their own path, right? If, if they were really good at following a formula, buy a franchise, right? There's 30,000 plus McDonald's franchises in this world. Not a single one of them has gone out of business. They'll send you to the university. You'll pay your money. You'll pay your royalty. That is as close to a foolproof enterprise that there is. Sure. But you do that. And sometimes you, you get straightjacketed. My, my brother-in-law bought a franchise a number of years ago. Um, and he's worked um, in a regular job for 40 years. He just retired, just turned 65 and retired. But he bought this franchise. Well, wouldn't you know, within two years of owning that franchise, the franchisor kicked him out because mm-hmm. he was doing things that entrepreneurs do. He ended up, it was a frozen confection. So he decided that he was paying rent uh, all through the winter, but nobody was buying his frozen confection, uh, confection. So he did a really smart move. He bought a donut shop. So I can do, it's sort of like the old um, uh, Kingsford, Kingsford, the famous story about Kingsford is why they bought, um, they had charcoal and they found that their shelves were emptied in the winter. And they're like, we need to do something about it. So they went and they bought Duraflame because they just take the charcoal out and they bring the Duraflame logs in and they never lose their shelf space. He did the same thing. Well, the owner of the franchise didn't like it. You're violating the rule and he kicked him out of the club. So sometimes that happens. Ask yourself, simple question. Why do I want to be an entrepreneur? Smart. Start there. That's smart, which kind of leads me to the next question. With 40 years of experience, we talked about kind of distinguishing between coaching and consulting, but I'd say you do a hybrid of both coaching, consulting, and mentorship because 40 mm-hmm. years really, really relevant experience is going to come to bear in any type of engagement that you have. What do you see in the work that you've done with entrepreneurs to be one of the biggest areas where they are wasting their time and maybe being inefficient with whatever that goal is that they have, increase market share, increase profitability, grow revenues, things of that nature. Well, um, I'll start by, by quoting Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach who I saw 25 years ago at a conference. And he said, he gave a quote that I've used a zillion times. He said, if you spend a lot of time working on your weaknesses, what you end up with is a bunch of really strong weaknesses, mm-hmm. right? So you see these entrepreneurs, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book, it's called, it has the unlikely title of Codfish, right? And this grew out of, you know, some coaching sessions, in particular with a client who was in the Gold Coast of Australia. So what does Codfish stand for? It stands for customer support, operations, development, finance, infrastructure, sales and marketing, and human resources. These are the seven, I call them silos. They're the seven silos of any business, whether you're Amazon or Apple, a trillion dollar company, or just a solopreneur like me. You've got these seven silos, right? You don't have six, you don't have eight, you got seven, whether you care to admit it or not. Yeah. And for most entrepreneurs, especially early stage, you know, what I call stage zero under a million dollars, they could take a look at those seven silos and they're going to learn a couple of things. Number one, there's an origin story for their business and it grew out of one of those silos. Mm-hmm. My first company grew out of the customer support silo. 
I found I was really good at supporting customers. And then I had to figure out all the other stuff, like what am I supporting them in? It turned out to be computers. Um, in other cases, it might grow out of finance. Hey, I got a giant pot of money and I need to go find a business, right? Oh, let's buy a franchise, right? So, um, but entrepreneurs make a mistake of thinking that they're going to be expert in every one of those silos. And you're not, you've probably got two that you're really good at three that you're okay or passable and one or two that are your Achilles heel. And, and the interesting thing is you'll find people looking at those two silos where they really suck and working their butt off on those and kind of forgetting about all the other ones. And it's creating, like creating that's, strong weaknesses. Is <laughs> there, right? That's not going to get you to the promised land, right? If your superpower is sales, then you should be selling, right? If your Achilles heel is operations, find somebody who eats, drinks, breathes operations and pay them to operate your business. Oh, Henry, how am I going to afford to pay them? Well, are you the operator? Because <laughs> if you suck at operating, your business is dead. It's dead before it started. Why even waste your time? These are tough realizations for people in, in, in business, you know, especially if you're bootstrapping, right? It, it, it's tough. Oh, Henry, I can't afford to hire a coach, right? How can I afford you? I tell people, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm easy to hire. I'm even easier to fire, right? I'm a, like consultants. Why do people hire consultants? Because they're easy to fire. They're also easy to blame too. Oh, why do we go? Why were our numbers last quarter suck ass? Because this stupid consultant that we hired uh, messed everything up. Well, then I would ask the question, why'd you hire him? What process did you go through? Right? Can't blame him. It's your company. Sure. Or her. Right. You and I have both worked in, uh, like I said, very similar industries, and I have. I just completed my second book. Um, it's called "The Manifest Wealth Safely Method." Mm -hmm. I love the process of creating, and it's usually it's usually birth out of some sense of frustration that you've seen within the industry. So I want to start there within both the entrepreneurial business industry that we serve in, as well as the personal finance industry. Uh -huh. What are some of the biggest frustrations that you see that really bug you within the industries? Uh, I'll start with the personal finance side. That one's kind of easy. You know, it's like a FOMO thing, right? People see, Oh, I'm going to get into crypto. Right. Oh, my son, my son, Matt, who the one who just turned 30, said, if I'd only bought, you know, $10 worth of Bitcoin in 2009, when my buddies were telling me to, I'd be a gazillionaire. Yeah, right. That's assuming that you were going to still hold it today. And when that Bitcoin that you bought at, you know, 14 cents went up to what number do you think you would have sold it at? You think you would have waited for 68,000 or somewhere along the line, you'd have decided you wanted something and you would have sold it at $14. It would have been a really nice trade at $14 if you paid 14 cents. I'll take that any day of the week, but you're living in a fool's paradise if you think you're going to hold this thing all the way up. So we see that all the time. The other part is just basically laziness. Right. One of the reasons that I have financial coaching clients is because they need to be held accountable because they'll get lazy. They won't do the homework. They're not going to read an 8K. They're not going to do the research. They're not going to learn how to how to chart. Right. 
there's a ton of stuff to learn how to be good at a as a stock trader. And most of it is incredibly boring. I tell people all the time, if your trading is exciting, you are doing something wrong. <laughs> you want to make boring money and on boring days, and you do not want to jump into crazy, hyper volatile, super high beta stocks. It's silly. Buy something sleepy that'll make you money over months, not try to make something over the course of an afternoon. But hey, I'm just an old school boomer. What do I know? <laughs> what does that old guy know about this stuff anyway, right? What does he know? He's only been doing it for, for since he was 17 when I bought my first stock, Chrysler, right? Back in 1977 when they hired Lee Iacocca. Um, the Iacocca days, right? Yeah, that was it. Um but that's boring. That's not exciting. That's not something you can post about on TikTok or, or Instagram and get likes and get followers. People want stuff that's sexy. Well, yeah. Okay. There's that. On the entrepreneurial side, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's low barriers to entry to coaching. And I've, I've said that to people a zillion times, like anybody who wants to, you, you know, prospect could become a coach, you know, tomorrow to hang up a shingle. But because you can do it means everybody else can do it as well. So low barriers to entry, yeah, it might be a benefit, but then everybody else can crowd in. All right. I've seen a lot of people go into these FBA businesses, um, you know, for fulfilled by Amazon, right? That kind of stuff or, or, or drop ship businesses. Um, it looks like a panacea. Oh, I don't have to touch anything. I can just, I can have my laptop. I can sit on a beach in Bali you know, they'll, they'll drop a, you know, a 30 yard that goes on a container and it goes to a distribution center and Amazon does all my marketing and I'll just cash the checks. If only it were that easy. Yeah. People are out there selling the dream. If you go on somebody who's a financial guru site, if they, if you see a picture of them in front of a Ferrari with a beautiful woman, Runaway screaming, right? <laughs> they are trying to 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 go right into your emotional core and say, "I want to live that lifestyle." The guys who are really good at this, and I know a lot of them, and I know professional traders who totally kick ass. These are guys with pocket protectors, and they're as boring as the day is long, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they just a lot of them. They just are, and they will be the first to admit it. They will say, I'm down at cloistered in my basement and I'm looking at charts and reading reports and yeah. And they just, they print money. They, a lot of them do <laughs> really good at it. True. True. So FQ, that's the name of your new book. Uh, mm -hmm. Intelligence. FQ well, colon financial intelligence. So tell us how you came up with the name, what it means, what people can expect, should they decide to buy it, and where they can get access to it. They don't even have to buy it. <laughs> they, okay. just go to, they just go to henrydoss.com, which is my personal site. Right there, on the pers right there on the front of it is a link where you can go to, to Book Baby and get it for 100% off. You know, I've sold a bunch of copies through Amazon, but the only one who makes money on Amazon is, is Bezos. You know, it just... If you're a small author, it's a, you know you've written a couple books. It's a it's a tough mountain to climb, right? Sure. It really is. You'll get, you know, unless you're putting up big numbers on Amazon, uh, you won't even show up in the search results. 
And there's guys out there who are selling these systems to get you as an Amazon bestseller or book in a box or whatever the case may be. It's like, no, I created this as a course first, tested it with a dozen people and was about to go live with it when somebody said, Henry, you should turn this into a book. And I'm like, isn't that eating my seed corn? And they're like, no, if people like the book, they want to learn from the master, right? So it took me about a year to turn it into a book because it was a really, really big, you know, process. Cause I've got, uh, you know, I had to get the rights to a lot of things. And if I couldn't get the rights to it, I wanted to make sure everything was legit. I hired a guy to lay it out in InDesign very professionally, did a lot of stuff. Um, but for me, it was like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a brain dump. I call it a money memoir to a large degree. It's really, it was very cathartic for me to write it because you don't realize how many money related things you run across in your life. I mean, it's, it, it's endless. Um, and I wrote about a hundred thousand words in two months. And then I tested it with people and then I added another 20,000 based on the feedback that I got from other people. Like one of my, uh, one of my clients who was part of my, my test group said, you need to write about flag theory. And I said, uh, I don't know what flag theory is. And sure enough, this is a guy who actually practices flag theory and flag theory for the uninitiated means that you should live in one country, work in a second country and bank in a third country. Hmm. And it's a system that's essentially designed to avoid taxation. So I wrote about it and I said, uh, it's morally corrupt (laughs) and kind of reprehensible, but I think it's important for you to know about it because there are people out there doing that. Live in one, work in another, pay taxes in a third. Yeah, he lived in um, a little municipal, not a municipal, a little country called Andorra, hmm. which I had to look up on a map, and it's it's nestled between France and Spain, and it's a tax haven. It's like a mini uh, Monaco, right? But he banked in the Philippines, and he worked virtually. So I've met people who play this kind of game where they work here, they do this, they do that, and they don't pay. They have, there's no jurisdiction. Um, uh, there's no tax jurisdiction for them. And I said, uh, don't ask me to bake a cake with a file in it when they come and take you, haul you away. I don't want to know about it because <laughs> I'm a mandatory reporter. So if I get subpoenaed, I got to spill my guts. And it says that in my contract. The only time I'm going to, I'm not, mom's the word. I'm not going to share anything that you tell me unless <laughs> somebody shows up with a warrant. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Now you, you piqued my interest now. So the wheels are turning. The wheels are turning. Well, what I basically said is, Look, if you live in a world where you drive on public roads and fly in, through public airports, right? That money gets paid for somewhere. That has to. So, what? What on, on? What makes you exempt from having to contribute to that? And I'm actually I write a, a newsletter. It's actually become like a weekly thing now. It was it was twice a month. And right now, I'm I'm writing a series on income or actually wealth inequality in America. And this is this is a part of it. I mean, if you're living out and using public space and let's face it, you, you know, we have a military that keeps us safe and homeland security that we all benefit from, you're obligated to contribute your fair share to that. I believe that firmly. 
I don't believe that, you know, you should just be a, a, a doormat and let them just tax you to death. I'm not that kind of a, of a, of a, you know, a hyper liberal. Yeah. Um, but you got to look in the mirror and understand that you you're one of 330 America, 330 million Americans. You have a responsibility to the public good, whether you like it or not. So embrace it and learn about it. Sure. It's just, that's my little soapbox for today. Yeah. Yeah. So you got all this wisdom stored up um, and, uh, Certainly, you know, something that not only the audience, but even myself can benefit from. I want to take you back in time to when you were that 18 year old version of who we see today. And if you could pass on a piece of advice that you feel like would impact the trajectory of young 18 year old Henry, and the path that he takes, what advice would you have to offer to him? So you thought you said 18-year-old virgin. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wait, is that right? And it's like, oh my God, that is right. I was a virgin at 18. I was kind of a late starter. <laughs> well, if I think back to the 18-year-old version, so that would it be 1977, right? When I graduated, when I uh, graduated high school and I was uh, uh going to college for electrical engineering, which was really tough. <laughs> One thing I would do is say, uh, don't do that. Be a business major because <laughs> engineering was, I don't know what it's like today, but it was really, really tough. Um, I always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur, that I was going to work for myself. I grew up with a family of professionals, business owners, doctors, lawyers, and all that stuff. Um, but I think I made a smart move in my 20s by working in cubicle world and working um, for companies to to use that as kind of a training ground and a, and a proving ground. Um, it's it's possible, I would tell my 18 year old self, um, don't be such a rebel and such a, a maverick in corporate world, because there are people that you are going to meet there who who you're going to want to know. You know, my dad used to say the the people you meet on the way up are the same people you're going to meet on the way down. So be nice, which is not to say that I wasn't nice, um, but I had a healthy contempt for corporate America at the time. Um, I used to wear the same tie every day to work. Mm-hmm. It was my my little rebellious statement. <laughs> I just wore the same. In fact, I never even untied it when I would come home. I would like slip the knot, put it on a hook, and then I would put it on the next day. But I really just thought this whole, the whole regimentation of the corporate world was just a stifling innovation. Uh, and what you discover is um, there's another uh, one of the millions of old sayings is once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So those folks who are entrepreneurs that are out there that are thinking of making the leap, understand that there's probably no going back. Now, there are exceptions to this rule. I have a friend who works for Amazon now, but he was an entrepreneur for 25 years and he sold his business for a big bunch of cheddar. And now he's been happy at Amazon for the last five years and he's he's adapted to that. That's, I guess, the exception that proves the world. But most other entrepreneurs, they'll, they'll never go back. Once you once you kind of drink the Kool-Aid, you're, you're kind of done. 
kind of hooked. Yeah, I, I tell yeah. people I'm certifiably unemployable. <laughs> My <laughs> friend Keith calls it unemployable. And the, yeah. the, no turning right. back. He calls it unemployable. Unemployable. It's a very, yeah, it's a very cumbersome term, but I like it. And yeah, so you have to recognize that fact, which is what scares a lot of people. I've, um, you know, I've coached a lot of entrepreneurs. I've coached a handful of entrepreneurs, but it's an exercise in frustration because they just can't seem to get their fence post out of their, you know what, and, and make the plunge, sure. right? Can't be half pregnant, right? Can't have it both ways. You want all the trappings of what corporate America offers you and your gold-plated 401k and your healthcare plan and all that stuff, but yet you want to be your own boss. Well, here's a, here's a newsflash. Corporate America really doesn't have much room for entrepreneurs. I mean, you're unemployable because most places won't hire you once you've been an entrepreneur, right? Because they know that you have that mindset and you're not just going to come in and follow the rules. You're going to actually try to break them and disrupt things. And they really don't want that. Sure. Yeah. They like to stay status quo. Well, listen, Henry, this has been such a blast. I, I feel like we, we could go on for a couple of hours. So I think it's... Uh, Worthy of consideration to have you come back. But uh, as we close out here. Anytime you want. No problem. <laughs> as we close out here, remind the audience where they can get a copy of your book at again. So um, my, my vanity site is Henry Das, H-E-N-R-Y-D-A-A-S.com. If you misspell it, people do, you'll still get there. Okay. Um, kind of a belt and braces approach. My business site is Das Knowledge, D-A-A-S Knowledge. Dot com, which an Israeli friend of mine told me is actually redundant because das in Hebrew means knowledge, which I didn't know when I uh, came up with that name like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the business focus site where the, the Henry Das site has, you know, pictures of me when I'm four years old and my golf trips and, you know, all sorts of, you know, silly stuff. Sure. Um, but yeah, grab the book, schedule a call, um, whatever you want. I'm available. Happy to talk to people. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing some uh, really, really rich knowledge here on a variety of topics. And, uh, audience, it's been great bringing another great interview to you today at the Thriving Advisors Podcast. Henry, thank you for your time. We'll look forward to thank you, Mike. doing Appreciate it again you. sometime soon. Sure. All right. Take care. And God bless. Welcome to the Thriving Advisor Show. I'm Ike Ikoku, and together with Nina Venturella, we are co-founders of the Cochinaire Institute and the Seven Figure Mentor Program. We help executives create successful transitions out of corporate life without jeopardizing their current employment and without risk to their family, finances, or future. We launch business consulting practices for our clients and use that as a vehicle to establish their personal brand, their thought leadership, and to monetize their purpose, passion, wisdom, expertise, and experience. This helps them address the problem of how to design a successful transition out of corporate life and into doing something adventurous and fulfilling that allows them to have the kind of impact, influence, and income they desire in this next chapter of their life. 
We believe that executives who have been thriving in the boardroom with their responsibilities to their current employer can also thrive outside of the boardroom in their post-corporate life. We know that you have relevant experience, expertise, as well as a unique message and or a passion project that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet in the next 15 to 20 minutes. All right, well, let's get into today's show. 